Okay, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we'll gather at the river here. Sorry about uh, the delay. Some of you who, um, who have been here drinking coffee for a half an hour, drinking coffee, um, yeah, you get a little, you know, caffeined out, right, after a while. But we did have a, a bit of a trial and tribulation there. Um, we... Um, uh, Barb Kramer um, had, uh, she said she experienced some sort of a dizziness. Uh, she has had some heart issues not too long ago. She had a pacemaker put in. Uh, she had been, uh, she went down to a hospital down in Atlanta. Here it was a, about a, I don't know, two months ago or so uh, with some concerns and um, and now when she had this dizziness, she then fell and uh, she hit her head. And so quite a large bump on her head. Uh, Craig Phillips thinks that she'll maybe be okay. Um, I think they probably are checking her out at the hospital right now. And um, we'll have to see where this goes. Um, as you know, these things can get to be pretty traumatic. Um, so uh, we want to keep uh, Barb in our prayers. In fact, we'll do so as we open with a prayer, if that's okay. Dear Lord and Savior, by your gracious word, you have given us a promise of a hope that lies beyond this creation. And it is with that comfort in our own hearts that we are able to live our life so boldly today. But we pray in behalf of Barb, and we ask that you would watch over her and give her healing we ask, O oh Lord, that you also take away the fears that can sometimes come with these things, both for her and also for her family. And we pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I, I do want to note that we saw a little something in the paper yesterday that, um, let's see here, the Presbyterians and the ELCA Lutherans and the Roman Catholics are all going to celebrate the Reformation. Um, that's, 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 uh, that's a little bit like, um, the Jews getting together to celebrate the Holocaust. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, for the life of me, can't quite figure out how in the world they could do this, but it's interesting that they, they said that, th that they're going to be, I guess it's some sort of a food drive when they get together, but they said that, um, that unlike the Reformation, which was a a time of division that they're going to be celebrating the Reformation today as a time of unity. Um, and I, I, I want to I make something kind of, to, if you run across this, uh, to make something kind of clear. Um, there are two words for unity. One of them, a Latin you can see this where this word comes from. We, you know, we named just about every college in the in Missouri Synod after this Concordia, right? Concord. Uh, unitas uh, really signals our unity with Christ, right? And Concord speaks of our unity in in doctrine. You might call it teaching, our teachings. But our unity in the gospel, which would be, we say, word, 
and sacrament. Okay. Now, when a church teaches God's Word in truth and purity, this is how it leads to this unity with Christ. And of course, unity with Christ is the true, this is actually the unity that brings about our salvation. Sometimes we have to kind of distinguish this. This is what our Lutheran confessions will distinguish. The reason for this is, in a kind of a churchly sense, we can all be saying the same doctrine, but just because we have true doctrine by itself doesn't, doesn't mean that we're, we're going to go to heaven, right? I mean, you can say everything that's right, you can articulate the gospel, but you've got to believe it, right? And when one comes to faith in Christ through this doctrine, this is what unites us with the universal church. See, this is the church universal, universal, church universal, which in our creed we say the holy Catholic church. In other words, or we could say Christian church. Luther, Luther would say that too because it's misunderstood. There's the Catholic church, which is the church of the word and faith. And then there is the Roman Catholic church, which is something different. That's a human organization. Now, therefore, what we want to say is when Martin Luther comes along in the Reformation and he not only establishes this concord, but when you establish concord, you create unitas. So when you are fighting for this, it looks like the church is being ripped apart and torn apart with division and controversy. But you are, in fact, establishing this. So what we want to remember is, um, I mean, what does Jesus say? Don't think that I came to bring peace on earth. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a... A sword. That's right. Paul says, all men will, or Jesus said, all men will hate you because of me. So, this idea that we say, we're in this for peace. We don't care what you teach. We don't care what your doctrine of the sacrament is. We don't care what your gospel is. Let's just all get along. Guess what? That's not peace. So it's a somewhat fitting that those folks out there celebrating the Reformation because to them they're actually celebrating the anti-Reformation. They're celebrating something that was exactly and diametrically the opposite of what the Reformation really was all about. And it doesn't mean that we are, we're not looking for controversy, are we? I don't think anybody here would say that as Lutherans we want to do this. But Controversy comes to you when you refuse to compromise on the gospel. And by, by gospel, we mean, here's this, this word, the oi angelon. Oi is always happy, like euphoria, 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 oi. And then uh, oi angelon, where we get our word angel, messenger, wonderful message that has come to us is this, that we are not 
saved or brought to heaven or forgiven or given the Holy Spirit because of anything that we have done. That this is a gift of God and that this gift came to us by Jesus Christ doing everything necessary for us and for our salvation. And this can only be received, we say, by faith because we are believing what has been accomplished for us. We're believing God's word. So if somebody came up to you and said, uh, your mother and your father have just put a million dollars into your bank account for you, and you were to say, I believe what my mother and father would say, you would only by faith be claiming that which was given to you. If you said, huh, not my mother, not my father, they would never give me a million dollars, then you would be saying that you are unbelieving and you do not receive it or you will not claim it. Christ did everything for us. And this, this, I, this concord that we seek, this, this clarity of our doctrine and teaching of the gospel, this is what leads to true unity. And this unity is a unity of the church throughout all the world. And I say this uh, along with, with the entire testimony of the New Testament. Don't ever think that this unity, this unity here, is to be equated with the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. That unity is a spiritual unity which you cannot see. There are people in Kenya, Africa right now that are a part of this unitas. There are people who are in Siberia. There are people who are in Europe. There are people who are in prison. There are people all over the world and they have a mystical, they're a part of the, what we call the body of Christ. But um, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is a new creation of water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Elect of, of every nation, yet one or all of the earth. Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she partakes one holy food, and with one hope she... She what? With, with every grace endued. Okay. Thank you. I, there's a little help from my friends here. I feel like I, I get by with a little help from my friends. Another, it's another hymn that we sing. All right. Let's go, let's, uh, let's go for our 20-minute Bible study. Um, and we are now into 1 Peter. Uh, we are doing uh, 2 Peter, actually, in our Bible class on Wednesday morning. That's an advertisement, again, for Wednesday morning. Okay. Um, so we left off last time. Um, I know that we left off someplace. Carol? Come on. Yeah, I think, okay, let's take it at verse 13, and if I repeat myself, uh, chapter 1, verse 13, then um, we'll, uh, we'll worry about that later. I'm going to read it, chapter 1, this is 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 13, and I'm going to read. Are you ready? Therefore... Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace 
to be given you when Jesus Christ is, to re be re is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Now, we did that one because we talked about what holiness meant, right? 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live at your lives as strangers here in reverent fear, for you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect." He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now, let's back that up. First of all, the word father. Father. <coughs> that phrase... Um, has probably come to be genericized in a certain sense. But uh, back in these days, if you were a father of a nation, for instance, it would mean that you were the one who was not only providing everything that that nation needed, but also you were doing so graciously. That, in other words, you didn't have to, you could collect all the taxes, you could spend it on yourself, you could do it for yourself, but rare was the ruler who actually was an individual who had a noble character and whose actions were interested in the well-being of his people. I mean, this is, this is true today, right? Uh, all of our presidents are people who only act on behalf of the good of the people. <laughs> it is just getting to be crazy, isn't it? And how... Uh, the, uh, the philosopher Aristotle once said, he said there are, in the Bible there are two words for good. He didn't, he didn't say this, but in the Bible there are two words for good. Um, remember uh, how it is that they come to Jesus and they say, good teacher, and Jesus says, no one is good, but... You guys have been reading your Bibles lately? <laughs> Nobody is good but God alone, right? Now there, there is a... Um, they're agathos and kalos. These, these are, are two different words for good. Um, it says in creation, when God created everything, that he looked, and he looked at it and everything was kalos. That meant that the creation, everything fit together. There was no contention. The animals, the, the plants, the creation all worked in perfect harmony. Agathos was a quality, if you even not just a, of God, but it was the, the noble quality of an individual who thought for the good of other people. And he used his power, his wealth, or whatever it might be for the good of others. Now, when they said, Jesus, good teacher, which one of these do you suppose they were using? This one. And Jesus said, nobody, nobody is this 
but God alone. God is the only one who acts only out of the welfare and the well-being of his own children. He's, just, he's sacrificial, if you will. Well, Aristotle said the greatest rulers are, called, he calls them kolgathos. He actually combines the two words together. It's a ruler is, is somebody who acts mercifully for people, but he acts in such a way that those in his domain or in his realm are, are, are coming to experience peace among themselves. They work together with each other. So it's, uh, it's a little bit like you and your job. You know, when you are thinking more about other people who are working for you, when you make sure that your environment is working well, then you are kalgathos. Um, now, a father, in a true sense, will always be a kalgathos person. And God alone, he's the only one who is truly, purely, absolutely kalgathos. He is our father. Isn't it amazing how you can just milk that cow for every possible idea? One word, just beautiful. So you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially. God makes no distinctions between us. The small, the little, and the great. The person who is the garbage collector and the person who runs the corporation, or whoever it might be, there is no difference at all in God's eyes. And a person who uses their skill to be a cogathos person like God in their profession is equal in God's sight. No matter who you are. Then we go on and say, Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Um, in the book of Revelation, uh, he talks about uh, the earth dwellers, that the people of the world are, are people who have got their eyes only on the immediate world in which they're living. Whereas Christians are people who live there. They're pilgrims. They're on their way. We had a, a guy who came to church for a service who was from Houston. I said, well, were things damaged? And he said, yes. I said, I mean, your home personally? Yes. Where are you, where, what are you doing here? He said, I'm working now at IUPUI. He took a job as fast as he could to get out of there. Well, you do when you're no longer, I mean, when this has been destroyed, you look up and you start looking for where it is you're going to be. We are not people, you know, we get upset because this world right here isn't quite what we want it to be. But we're just passing through. We're just on our way. The old days of the wagon trains were great, weren't they? When people were passing through, that they were on their way to a better place, if you will. And that's the way that we live our lives. We're strangers here. Gypsies, tramps, and thieves. <laughs> Just a little, little theology to go along with our... For you know that it was not with 
perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, and I love this, from the empty way of life handed down to you from our forefathers. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you think that you can go to heaven by being an active football fan? Everybody here who would want to raise your hand. You know, sometimes I have to say that, that this whole thing with the kneeling and the flag and all that kind of stuff, you know, probably to you and to me, and, and most of these people that are probably here, they're, we're just kind of going, you've got to be kidding. But sometimes people think that, 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 you know, a game of football, nothing wrong, I mean, coach, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I played football, but I do have to say, it's a game. It's something that you do to develop character, right? Okay. <laughs> but it is not the be-all, end-all of life. And just because you're a football player doesn't make you an expert on how to be able to, how society should be structured or whatever it might be. And sometimes I think the life that is handed to it, just ask yourself, if you love movies, if you like to be able to have your, your family in sports, your kids in soccer, or your, your whatever it is, and, and then ask yourself in the end, how does this contribute to the world in which we are living? And you have to say sometimes, you know, it's all pretty empty. It's empty. Now, there's nothing wrong with it being entertainment, right? There's nothing wrong with going out and going fishing. There's nothing wrong with going hunting. There's nothing wrong with playing football. There's nothing wrong with um, doing yoga. <clears throat> Sylvia's been teaching me. <laughs> but is not the be-all, end-all of life. The be-all, end-all of life is not here, it's there at the door of death as we enter into paradise. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his own soul? You have to, I preached on that for my, for my um, sister's wedding in New Hampshire and one of the Marriott brothers was present there because they had a place that was, they were friends of the groom's family. And um, he came up to me afterwards and said, basically, I'd like to believe and I'd like to actually, ex everything that you said, but essentially it was, you know, the Marriott's are Mormons, right? If a Marriott left the Mormon church, do you know what the political rumblings of that might be and how almost impossible it is for that to happen? Well, he knew that too. But you look, say, that's exactly what I was preaching on. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You and I have been bought. He says, not with silver or gold. We've been redeemed. You know that, 
the, the idea here being that a slave is cap- was capable in these days of being able to buy their way out of slavery. If they worked hard, they did things on the side sometimes. They actually made money. They could buy their way out of slavery. You have been redeemed not with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. When was that? There's, a, there's blood in the water. In your baptism, God bought you. And when he bought you, Paul says, you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your bodies. And that's something which was so rare, so unbelievable. We talked about this on Wednesday with our Bible class. You, we don't even begin to understand how absolutely perverted that world was that Paul was entering. Uh, there was a pastor who was um, writing a paper for a class that he, where he was presenting on the moral life, I guess you might say, as it pertains even to issues such as homosexuality. But the pedophilia that was taking place in the, in the world at that day was so common, so common, that a man having a, uh, a boy lover that would be like a toy, uh, this, was, this was commonplace. Um, slaves were, were, were taken off the frontier and given for every form of sexual perversion you could ever imagine. Prostitutes in temples. There were a thousand prostitutes in the temples uh, at Corinth. And here's the, the Apostle Paul comes along and he says, glorify God with your bodies. You were bought with a price. And that idea that you were, that blood of Christ, what it would do is it would wash away and it would cleanse all the sin, and it would make you into a vessel of the Holy Spirit. And when that Holy Spirit entered into that vessel of your body, it was no different than that Holy Spirit who entered into the vessel of the temple in Jerusalem. And when that Holy Spirit enters, what is on the inside had to be holy and pure, and it had to be constantly cleansed by means of the blood of Christ. So all that stuff that we were talking about in our first service as I was reading those lessons, Moses sprinkles the blood upon the people. All the things that the Lord says we will do. We, of course, have now come to take the blood, body and blood of Christ in the Lord's Supper. And when that happens, it cleanses us so that the Holy Spirit can come and dwell within us. Now Paul says, you were bought not with silver or gold, but you were bought with this precious blood of Christ. Very, very different from the world in which they were living. He goes on to say, the precious blood of Christ, a lamb, all that whole theology of the Passover, without blemish or defect. You know, they required that the offering of the lamb, they could not, be, they could not offer to God a lamb that had a defect. You'd say, well, I mean, that's kind of like being prejudiced against lambs. I mean, you know... What do you mean? I'm not good enough, the lamb says, to be offered as a sacrifice. But the, 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 the point was that a blemish or defect actually was a symbol of sin. And as it says in Hebrews, this, all these things that they were doing in the temple were shadows, shadows of heavenly realities that were yet to come. In other words, Everything that they were doing was telling them something about what Christ would be doing when he came. So their faith was in what was yet to come 
Our faith is in what has come. They were saved by faith, we're saved by faith. Same thing. But everything pointed to what was yet to come. And that lamb without blemish was going to be what? What does John say when he sees Jesus? Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He was the only person in all of creation who's ever lived a sinless life. So, notice how far we get here. Okay. The precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world. We say it in our creed, begotten of the Father before eternity, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. They, you know, the, I just wanted to point this out to, to see you know, what, what's, what, what was going on here. here. You had the Jews in the Old Testament. Here are the Jews. And they had, we would call it the cultus of, wor- of worship. God gave them the law with all of the, of, of the, of the, the whole, you know, the, the, when they should be worshiping, their temple worship, the, how they practiced their daily piety in life. But all of this was like a lens through which they were able, when they embraced all of this and fulfilled this, they were able to see Christ. But this was like a barrier. And so the Gentiles, although they could kind of see through that, the Gentiles weren't quite able to be able to see through this. There were just a few maybe. Jesus meets them. Uh, like the, uh, the Roman centurion and such, the Gentiles were able, were able to see through it. But once Christ was revealed, now this is where it is that the Gentiles, you and, and I, uh, the Gentiles were able to actually see Christ directly. And so now you see this incredible gathering now of the Gentiles as they come into the church because before this they couldn't see through this. Only these people who spent their entire life devoted to the scriptures, devoted to this this cultus of worship that God had given to them, they were able to see forward and to see that this meant Christ. But it was hard, hard, hard. And these people here, these Gentiles, you and us guys, we were now able to see Christ clearly. So, let's see if we can finish out this chapter. He says, 21, through him you believe in God who, are, who raised him from the dead and glorified him so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. You, you see, 
you cannot celebrate the Reformation without believing that it is through the power of the word that in baptismal regeneration we are actually reborn. You cannot celebrate the Reformation without understanding the very presence of Christ in the sacrament that happens by means of the power of the word of God. And you cannot celebrate the Reformation unless you believe that it is God's word that created faith within you. And that word is a seed. It's been planted in there. That faith that you and I have, we didn't put it there. God did. But it's the imperishable seed. Because when we die, that seed comes to life. Imperishable. Paul says, the perishable must put on the imperishable and the mortal must put on the immortality that the saying may now may come to pass, death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is thy sting? Where is thy victory? The sting of death, death is sin. The power of sin is law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, four. All men are like grass in all their glory is like the flowers of the field. When you look into that mirror, and you say, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And the mirror says, all women are like grass too. Ah, it's, it's all going to be gone someday. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Okay. Um, form a faith class coming up. I don't, if, it doesn't necessarily mean that just because you're members that you can't come. In fact, I'd love to have you come. It's a good, a good renewal. It'll probably be the last form of faith class that I will teach. So, dun 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 dun. The um, also, uh, as I've mentioned on first service, the brochures are out there now for the uh, 2018 Heritage Tour. Uh, particularly, it is not just for our youth. Uh, adults certainly can go along. It's going to be a great experience. Um, the first five days uh, in a place called Greifswald, which is up in the Baltic, and then the rest of the time going down through the Luther sites uh, in Germany. Uh, please come. That'll probably be the last one I'll do too. So, dun da da. All right, let's close with a prayer. Yeah. All cards. We have to eat together. We have to eat together. So please, please come. Let's pray. Lord and Savior. We give you thanks that you have forgiven and washed away all our sins and guilt in the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. This is a great mystery and we cannot see your own blood but your word says it is there. Therefore may we believe with all our hearts what you say that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Grant unto us, therefore, a renewed and a cleansed temple that your Holy Spirit may dwell within us in all its fullness. 
and that we may be led and guided by your word and wisdom. Give us the comfort of knowing that there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from your love, that the seed that has been planted in us is imperishable, and therefore we need not fear any death, but only that wonderful, great life that is yet to come. We embrace it, and we look forward to it as strangers on this earth. And we pray, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.